Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How are y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. Going to be talking about why it's so hard to leave unhealthy relationships. Look, it's hard to leave relationships, period, for some of us. Um, you know, how, how comfortable we are leaving is sometimes tied to... Well, how desirable we feel we are, what we believe is possible moving forward, damage that's done, time and energy. Lots of reasons as to why um, people just want to kind of stay put and we want to stay comfortable. So we're going to be breaking that on down all night. If you got a DM for us, questions you got, topics you want covered, drop those in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Love hearing from you. Past episodes of the show are always over at wearechannelq.com. Um, yeah, you know, there's no one singular theory as to why anything happens psychologically or relationally. It's always a lot of uh, intersecting, compounding, synergistic impacts and uh, parts of our history that are brought forward into the future, reenacted. It's quite fascinating. There's some people where they're like, every time you're in a relationship with someone, there's you, there's them, there's their history, there's what the two of you co-create, there's there's cultural stuff woven into there in there, there's our gender, trauma, so much. Uh it's amazing that any of us are ever able to really get into or pull off relationships. Um and we don't really have good relational working models. I mean, that's something that I consistently see with patients in my practice is you know, no matter what the reason might be that someone enters uh, therapy, there's always work to be done around what do you think are the healthy components of a relationship? Do you know how to be a good partner? We don't really have good answers for this because a lot of people have never, ever sat down and talked about it or thought about it. No one's ever said to them, here's what are the qualities of a healthy relationship. So just pause and ask yourself that question. Do you know what a healthy relationship looks like? And if you're in one, a relationship, how do you know whether or not you're being a healthy partner? What are you using to assess that? And most people, the answer is, I'm not, or I don't know. Or, yeah, I could probably rattle some things off, but I'm not necessarily analyzing or applying that to my actual relational life. And we have to. So if nothing else tonight, I want you to walk away tonight's show saying, huh, it's a thing. It's a thing to consider. Let me think about that. How am I impacting the people whose lives I'm a part of? what work needs to be done. We're really good if, if challenged or, you know, we're really good at assessing others, but we're not great at assessing ourselves. And that's really what I want us to think about and talk about self-reflection, you know? Um, so all of that's in there. And like I talk about on the show sometimes is we have this arbitrary concept called market value. 
And that is changes by culture, changes culture to culture, time period to time period. But it's basically the qualities that we've been raised and socialized to believe are required or necessary to feel attractive in the world. And that's in there as well. Um, but we're going to break down some of the finer points as to why it is really difficult to get out. But we're not going to talk about um, why relationships are toxic or what signs you have to look for to know that a relationship is toxic. We're just really talking about why it's difficult to break that bond. Um, I posted something on my social media that I want to kind of just call out pulling it up. I said, we learn what a relationship is really about by how it ends and also by how we are during that ending. At every important phase of a relationship, we get to learn about ourselves as a relational partner, but also what we really think relationships are supposed to be centered in. And I always say it's supposed to be about transformation and care, (laughs) not getting or gaining something. But we think in those terms in our culture, like what's in it for me? How does it impact me? But it should be, I want to transform and be transformed. I want a companion to go through life with. I want, I want, I want to care for someone and I want to be cared for. And so then the questions become, if your relationship is rooted in an ethic of transformation and care, we aren't let off the hook because it's ending. That is still a time when accountability and self-reflection and compassion is required. But somehow we think if it's ending, all bets are off doesn't matter how we act anymore. It doesn't matter how we impact this person anymore, but it does. It, it, it more importantly does because remember endings are what's most powerful for us. We can very easily ignore all the gifts or beauty of a relationship if it ends problematically or harshly. I said to people when they go on vacation, don't overload the end of the vacation. You might leave exhausted, really retroactively redefining that entire vacation based on it ending with exhaustion or conflict. So do a lot of stuff on the front end and make it easier and lighter towards the end. But relationships are the same way. It all counts. And how you end a relationship says more about your mental health, what kind of partner you are and what you really value most in a relationship. And if it's an ethic of care and compassion, you exit that way as well, knowing that you are still accountable and responsible for each other more so in those difficult times. So the show's not about that. We're going to talk about why it's hard to leave so that we can get a better understanding. It's really about normalizing, building some empathy, but then challenging ourselves as well. Because regardless of why we can't leave, regardless of how hard it is to leave, sometimes that is still what we need to be working on doing anyway, you know, because we can make actions and make decisions that are separate from how we feel or what we want. Those are two separate processes, but we tend to collapse them and think I have to act based on how I feel. But healthy people feel something and act differently. They act based on their ethics and their values, you know? All right, we'll be back. um, And we're going to keep talking about why it's difficult to leave relationships, especially unhealthy ones, which is shocking to people, but those can be the hardest ones to leave. So stick around. You listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back talking more about relationships. So uh, stick around. Don't go anywhere. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, y'all, we are back talking about why it's really difficult to leave unhealthy relationships, but look, globalize that. It's healthy. I mean, it's hard to leave healthy ones. It's hard to leave relationality. Now I've talked on the show about the interpersonal neurobiological underpinnings of relationships. So don't want to get too much into that, but, but know that that's an aspect of it. We're going to talk about more of the uh, psycho emotional social driving forces and that difficulty of getting out. But, um, yeah, because listen, when we feel deeply about someone and we build intimacy, and sometimes with the use of affection or eroticism, we attach. The attachment system is a powerful, powerful internal system. It's both a um, uh, philosophical working model that we internalize, but then there's also a bio, neurobio component. The neurobio bio component is that when we attach to someone, which can come with intensity, it can be about time, it can be about emotional experience, but for some of us, we attach very easily. And you can tell when you're attaching to someone because they mean a lot, you think about them a lot, any perceived uh, abandonments or threat to them or the relationship, ooh, you really feel that powerful response. That's because our brains and our nervous systems has, have wired, which is in fact what we're wanting them to do. That's a healthy sign. That's why I get very disturbed when people talk about things like, people can't make you feel anything. Uh, yeah, they can. It's called empathy. It's called mirror neurons. It's called social contagion. It's called inner subjectivity. It's called limbic resonance, all these different terms for it. But yeah, we are supposed to connect and bond with other people powerfully. It's an internal system. We want that to be online. So we do need others. We do fuse with others. Uh, Healthy attached relationships are a a fusion, like a child and a parent. We have those same needs to be dependent on others and to co-regulate via the presence and support of others throughout the duration of our lives. We are never independent systems. We are not meant to be. 
But in our culture, we really force that. So when someone seems overly dependent or reliant on partner, we get very upset because that's against our American ethics of individualism and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and only counting on yourself. And none of that is true. And in fact, it's very toxic. So I just want to kind of call that out. We're not shaming getting really attached to a partner. That is, again, a healthy system. In fact, I, I worry about those that aren't attaching. That's not a good sign or a very avoidant or are, you know, really, really mandating individualism and a lot of space and separation. Um, that's not good. And that's not really what what our nervous systems are built to do. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of popular books out there that really support this idea of separation and distance. Um, I'm not going to name any names. But um, if you can read between those lines, we don't want space and distance. We want to actually have fusion and closeness and connection because that's how we thrive. And that's what our brains and our nervous systems require. And that's a healthy sign. The attachment system is uh, one of the most empirically validated things that we have in interpersonal neurobiology is about how to work with that. So la, 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 right? A lot of big words, a lot of big theories. All that really is distilled down into is the soundbite of we need others. It's healthy to be dependent on others. It's healthy to want to be co-regulated by others. It's healthy in a primary attached relationship to not feel secure or comfortable when we think we might have lost our partner, when we can't get a hold of our partner, things like that. So we're not shaming that. But topic, the main topic. Okay, so I got, got a little distracted by my new French vanilla coffee. <laughs> I'm not going to do a plug for French vanilla coffee, but flavored coffee is my new favorite thing. Um, okay, so what are the reasons why it's so hard to leave a, uh, a relationship, uh, especially when it's unhealthy? I'm just kind of generalizing. Uh, one of the things is that I talked about this on another show. I was referencing the relational escalator, this idea that we've all internalized, that there is steps we need to take for our relationship to be legit, for it to be adult, for it to be moving in the right direction, for all sorts of stuff. And none of that is true. Those steps don't promise anything. You can have love, care, and commitment and trust without those steps of like, you know, exclusivity, monogamy, living together, having children, buying a home. Like we're always like looking for the next step. And it's such a mindless thing that we do. No one ever says, why do I really want that? Is that really going to provide what I think it's going to provide? There's nothing wrong with going through steps if that's what you want, but just at least choose it. Um, and don't assume that that provides anything. Those are just things that's performative, you know, and they do have a lot of value and worth, but I, I want to hold space for some people that want it alternatively or differently. And that's part of the, one of the number one reasons why it's hard to leave a relationship because we assume a couple things. We assume that if a relationship ends, that that means something is bad or wrong or something's wrong with us. We also then devalue the relationship. And that's not fair because the quality or length or health of a relationship is not determined by the time it exists. Um, relationships ending are not failures for the person or the relationship. Not all relationships are meant to go on forever. We outgrow friends. We can outgrow a partner. That doesn't mean we didn't or don't still love them. But sometimes we grow in different directions. It's such a myth that we should all grow at the same time, in the same ways, in the same direction, and always be compatible and aligned. What a bizarre concept. We used to only, we used to die when we were 16 or 24. Our relationships didn't have to last that long. Now we're expecting them to last happily for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. That is strange and bizarre. That is a huge expectation. I think the longer we live, the more we're going to see divorces and breakups because what worked in your 20s or what worked in your 30s is not working in your 60s, 70s, 80s or beyond. It's beautiful when couples can grow together, but not everyone will. And that's okay. So that's part of why some people are struggle to leave a relationship because they're afraid that they'll be perceived as a failure. 
and it gets worse based on gender and age. We give a little more latitude for men to be single. We don't for women. Um, and then also it's gendered. That, that was the gendered part. But also we, we want to feel like an adult. Um, we, we are also trained to, to see the loss of a partner, a lack of a partner. Let me say it differently. We're also socialized to believe that if we're not in a relationship or a relationship ends, that we inherently have a lack, that our life is less than, that something is missing. Hear those words. Those words are going to generate a lot of emotions, a lot of anxiety and fear, lack, missing. But that's not necessarily true. Going to come back and keep talking about that because I think those are really important key words. And they'll be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back to. Past episodes of the show are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, read, listen, and share. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we're back and we're kind of challenging this idea that if you're not in a relationship or a relationship ends, that that inherently means something's missing, something's wrong, that there's a lack. What a horrible concept because you could have a beautiful life where you are thankful for what you have, um, nothing feels wrong or off, you are full of finding joy or not. Maybe you're just going through the normal difficulties of life and everything isn't always ideal and there's some things you're trying to work on or build into your life. But imagine if among all of that, you're single and, 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 and you don't necessarily feel as though anything's wrong or different. You might realize that partnership could bring some pluses, could also be some minuses, but everyone's treating you though as though there's something wrong and something needs massive attention or a relationship ends and it's assumed that that is bad or wrong. It, it is, it's unfair meanings that are applied. And that's why when someone tells me that they're having a child or someone tells me they're leaving a relationship, I don't inherently say congrats or I'm sorry. I say, tell me what that means for you. Because for some people, having a child means something good. Others mean it means something bad. They don't want to be pregnant. Uh, for some, leaving a relationship or ending a marriage is a great thing. And it's a success because it went as far as it was meant to. And they realize it isn't right for them. And for others, there's sadness because it was what they wanted and it's being taken from them. So everyone has to apply their own meaning. But part of why it's hard to leave a relationship is, like I said, because we assume that that means something's wrong. Something's been taken from us. We now have to go back out there. No, you don't. Singledom's an acceptable position, but we have a lot of fear of it and we pathologize it. Um, so many think that they'd rather just be with someone than to not have. But remember, when we're with someone relationally, that brings with it a whole host of benefits, but also deficits. And we don't want to just have to have without any kind of consideration for, does our life require another person brought in? Who are we bringing in? What impact is it having on us? And why are we making that choice? I say that about everyone, no matter what relational style they have. Someone's getting married. I want to know why. I want to talk about the benefits and the deficits. I don't inherently assume marriage is always a good thing. Sometimes that decision is made from the, uh, not an important part or a healthy part. Same thing with monogamy. I want to know why you choose that. Let's talk about the benefits and the deficits. Just like if someone said I have an open style, polyamorous style, whatever it is, I want to know why. I always want to understand someone's reasoning. Are they mindfully making that choice rooted in their own value system? Or are they just going with the flow because that's what they've been told they need to do to feel like an adult or because they care about someone and they've been trained to believe that that means you have to get married to honor that love? No, you don't. 
No, you don't at all. People really think that if they leave a marriage that they'll be seen as a failure. No, you won't. Sometimes that is a success and that's a courageous thing to show your children. I have clients that are afraid for their children to see a divorce, but that is part of life. In fact, it's more common than not. 50 to 70% of relationships have someone cheating and more than 50% of relationships will end. We need to normalize going through the process of realizing this isn't the right partner for me anymore or my needs have changed. We need to normalize that. It shouldn't have to be such a heavy, heavy, heavy burden that is so stigmatized. And that is part of why people stay in relationships that aren't healthy for them because they're afraid of stepping into what they have without that, having to explain themselves, having to get back out there and date, feeling as though they're a failure, feeling as though there's a major lack in their life. It's not, that is not a good reason. Um, Here's another reason why some people stay in unhealthy relationships. And this is something that I will use a movie reference for. It's called, you don't have to really understand the word. You don't have to know the word, but understand the concept. It's called the sunk cost fallacy. And basically that is when someone's afraid of letting go of something or exiting something because of the time they've already put into it. There are some people, for instance, that will continue to sit through a really bad movie because they've already sat there for the first hour and they're like, well, I've already given it an hour of my life. I might as well finish it off. I don't agree with that. And that's a fallacy. It's called the sunk cost fallacy because you're, you're losing more time by giving it another hour of your life, that crappy movie. And some people do that with relationships. They're like, well, I've already given it a decade. I might as well just give it the next three decades. No, that is horrible reasoning. That's horrible reasoning. Make decisions about whether or not you finish watching a movie. Make decisions about whether or not you stay in a relationship based on the impact it has on your mental health. <laughs> whether or not, and, that, and I mean that as far as whether or not you're even enjoying it. You're allowed to leave things because they don't make you happy. You're allowed to quit the soccer team or the kickball team because you're like, I don't enjoy it. There's no such thing as, well, you started it, you need to finish it. That's horrible reasoning horrible. Leave because you're not enjoying it anymore. Quit the team because you don't like it. Leave the relationship because it's not fun anymore. Quit your job because it doesn't bring you joy. Whatever it is, that's a mental health perspective. How does this impact me? Do I enjoy it? (laughs) That's huge. But some people will stay because they think I've already put some time into it. That is horrible, horrible reasoning because that completely doesn't look at the impact it's having on you and those around you. And that's, that, that should mean more. What does it mean to be a part of this? What would it mean to leave this? Don't stay just because you already put time and energy into it. Horrible. But we live, we lead our lives like that. I mean, really think about all the things that you've held on to or stuck with because you already put some time or effort in. And think about what the quality of your life was like while following through for these arbitrary reasons. You know, um, all right, coming up next, we're going to be doing some DMs. So stick around for that questions, topics, always confidential, helping others out as we're helping you. So if you got a question or a topic, drop it in there. Uh, Loveline IG page, past episodes, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge post, re-listen and share lots of good stuff. Cause remember y'all, we're working on challenging our thinking, replacing it with better, <laughs> with better perspectives. And it's all about practice and repetition. Stick around and listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This next DM is uh, something I get asked a lot of questions about. I think I'm going to do an entire show on it, but I'll give you guys a little bit of the bullet points. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline, I'm in a relationship. We've been together for about five years. Ah, congratulations. That's a long time. However, our sex life and passion have started to wax and wane. 
I know we're not doomed, but are there any tips you have for how we can keep sex and passion alive? I love this question because I think it's something that we all can relate to. And if we can't, it is something we might at some point, because no matter how much we love someone, no matter how much we are attracted to them, we have to expect different events in our lives, our mood, relational stuff, job stresses, illnesses, medications, all those things are going to shift our relationship to our bodies. Um, all that's going to shift our sex lives. But there are a few things that I always recommend to keep things intact and in place. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, first, you got to prioritize it. <laughs> and that's what you're doing by asking that question. You're already inherently saying, this is important. We want to work on this. Um, you also have to make sure that you're both open to initiating. Sometimes that's all that's needed is we over rely on one partner to initiate. Sometimes it's gendered. We think the male or masculine partner has to be the one initiating. Nope. It's for all of us to do. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your mask or femininity is about. Um, we all have to be willing to act on our uh, arousal. And that's the other piece. Start tracking your arousal. A lot of people don't notice when they're turned on and they wait for a big dramatic expression of arousal or they wait for their partner to initiate. Um, so start tracking moments throughout the day when you're feeling turned on because we really want to work on spontaneity, letting arousal build in our bodies, recognizing it as such, and then doing something with it. And if our partner's home, we can start to kind of bring it to them. And if they're not, we can maybe start foreplay by sending them text messages or pictures and kind of getting the ball rolling, building up that excitement. Um, also, if you're ever cuddling or touching, we want to start pushing on what I call the edges of possibility. There's just this edge where we have the potentiality of going further, pushing further along, but sometimes we just back off of it. You know, we're maybe cuddling and we start to notice a little arousal in our body and we, that edge of possibility is there where we maybe think, let my hand wander with consent. Let me kiss my partner. Um, and that's a big choice point. And I want us to lean into pushing a little bit further, push on that edge, the edges of possibility. Also, it's about creating newness and novelty. And that can happen with the smallest tweaks, just changing the smallest element. I'm actually going to do a whole segment on this. So uh, I'll go deeper into these points, but I'm kind of giving you the, the brief answer. But push uh, push on your, norm, your normal edges by creating new novel things, doing things differently at different times in different places, different parts of our body, starting, starting sex differently, ending sex differently. Um, <clears throat> also, if you're out in the world and you're turned on, bring that sexual energy home to your partner. That's another really important tool, uh, letting it build and bringing it to our partner. Um, also, we want to work on creating the conditions for our arousal to occur. And that's about really understanding what you need to feel sexy. Uh, what do you need to wear? What process do you need to go through? Um, what, what, what tends to kind of turn you on and get you in the mood? Really learning about our sexual selves. Um, and then, of course, if your partner makes a sexual attempt to connect and you're not in the mood, offer something that's receptive. You just don't want to be a hard line to know. You want to say, let's cuddle instead. Let's hold hands. Let's just talk. Let's maybe make out. Let's have sex later. But you want to do something so that they don't feel shut down or shut out. Offer something. Also, push on the boundaries as to what parts of your body you allow to have touch. That's part of that you know, spontaneity. That's part of that um, pushing on the edges. And then finally, Make sure you're focusing more on fun. It's not about making sure we're having penetration or orgasms or using our genitals. It's about just really building on, um, build, building, building more intimacy, fun, and not getting so hung up on a goal. 
We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to have one targeted goal as our as our, as what we're working on. I remind my patients that all the time. We're not working on penetration. We're working on sex, and sex is a broad umbrella term that includes a lot of things. And we have to be open to seeing all of those things as legitimate forms of sexuality and eroticism. We can't always think of it in terms of penetration and orgasm and genitals. That's a really reductive um, elementary version. All right, y'all, you got a question for us? Drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Uh, questions, topics, things you want us to cover. Love to hear from you. And um, we are channelq.com. It's where you want to go to check out past episodes of the show. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. You know, stick around, though. We got a lot more for you. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. All right, y'all, we're back. And now it's time to do a little sex Ed, da, 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 da. All right, so what does that look like? Well, number one, I want people to expand their definition of what they see sex to be. A lot of problems are rooted in this very narrow, shallow definition. And what's important to remind everyone, if you take nothing away from tonight's show, and it's not about the difficulty of leaving relationships, why people stay, how we shame singledom, it's this sex educational piece, which tells us that some issues are not actual issues. It's a problem with our understanding or perspective on something. What that means is the way we frame sex determines whether or not something is a problem. And we focus so much on intercourse that a lot of us don't realize that at some point in our lives, that definition is going to fail us and let us down. And it's going to really obscure our ability to understand that all the things we're looking for are things we're already possibly getting. Uh, we talk about this often on this show where you have to ask yourself, where did my understanding of something come from? And is it serving me? And what am I seeking? And am I finding other ways to get those needs met? And most likely you are. Now, for some couples, yes, there's not a lot of touch. There's not a lot of affection. There's not a lot of physical intimacy or eroticism. But for others, they have a wealth of that. But they have this idea that there's one right way and one specific way to do something. And so understandably, if we don't align with that or we don't have that, we feel as though something is bad, wrong, or broken. And of course, we want to fix it. But if we can change our perspective, and I've said this many times um, in my office, out in the world, when I lecture, in my books, on the show, um, as we age, we have to expect all these things to shift. Medications, disability, mental health issues, all sorts of contextualized reasons as to why our relationship to our bodies and our sexuality are going to kind of ebb and flow. And the most healthy relationships are resilient and robust enough to accommodate all these needed changes as they're happening. And they update their understanding of what their needs are and how to get them met. You have to constantly update that. We have to have a more adult and expansive understanding of what relationships are. And that's kind of what we were talking about earlier in the show, but also what sexuality and eroticism are. What is your goal? And I really believe most of you would say fun, enjoyment, connection, intimacy, that all can be met in a multitude of different ways. Please don't get hung up on one specific way. I think What's really powerful for some people, uh, some patients in my practice, is when we go from the entry point of normalizing all the diverse creative ways that people are sexual. Uh, I remember I put an IG post up and I was talking about how, you know, there's so many different ways that people um, exist within sexuality. There are people that are sides. And that means they're not a top, they're not a bottom. They're people that just generally don't enjoy penetration. Does that mean they don't have a sex life? Oh, dear God, no, they do. It just doesn't involve penetration. Just like there are some people who, for whatever reason, might have a sex life that doesn't involve 
other forms of penetration, the non-standard forms of penetration, where it might be things, yeah, non-standard forms of penetration. I'm not really sure what I'm allowed to say around that topic, so I'll just say it like that. I'll also point out that some couples, maybe their sex life is centered in more mutual masturbation. Others, it might be more oral-centered. There's That's not less than. That's not adolescent. That is them being authentic to who they really are. But again, back to the label of sides, I worked with some people that really felt shame that they weren't interested in any form of penetrative sex, whether they were on an assertive end or in a passive passive end of it. They're like, that's just not something I'm driven to. That's okay. We could live in a world for those that aren't interested in, let's say, feet. We could live in a world where maybe most people were. Should you feel bad or wrong or broken because that's something you're not interested in? No. It's okay if most people enjoy, I don't know, chocolate ice cream and you're like, yeah, but I like vanilla. Cool. We're not trying to be normal. But that the, the tyranny of normality terrorizes so many couples and it really pulls them away from the fact that they maybe already have an amazing erotic life or not. But even if we're moving towards changing it, again, we need an expansive definition. But some people, the problem is just their perspective. All of their needs are met. They just feel like we're not doing it the way we're supposed to and so something is wrong. And again, remember, just like we can't necessarily be with the partners we wanna be with because we're not always compatible with the people we want to be with, sex is not always able to be the full fantasy, just like our lives aren't. Some people look back on their lives and they're like, wow, this isn't what I was thinking it was going to be. But that doesn't mean it's bad, wrong, or broken. And so again, we want to say to ourselves, based in the relationship I'm in and who I am, what expectations should I really have on myself around the sex life that we have or we think we should have? That reorientation is so powerful. So that is one of the number one ways to really have a more mature and healthier version of sexuality, that we ask ourselves, who am I in this moment? And that should ebb and flow. What we wanted sexually last weekend should be very different from what it is this weekend. And if it's always the same thing, always penetratively focused, then you're not being honest. It's like dinner. I won't believe that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you always want the same meal. I would say that's born out of ease, possibly. That is born out of a fear, anxiety of trying other cuisines or flavors. Or maybe it's rooted in what you have the finances or access to or other health goals. But, it, but, I, but I do believe that you would want a more diverse, expansive meal. And sex is that same way. I want you to be rooted in the reality of what's possible based on your finances, based on accessibility. All right, we're gonna come back and we're gonna keep talking about this. Time really flew by with that one. All right, stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back. And uh, just kind of giving us that we're, you know, earlier in the show, we were talking more about relationality. Why do people stay in the relationships they stay in? What does that mean? What does that look like? Really important piece to examine. And now we're kind of looking at the sex lives we have. Why, how do they come to be the way they are? Um, how do we push on those edges? Remember, you know, what's always going to be the most exciting and what's going to make us want sex is that sex is worth having. And the way we do that is by always pushing on our edges, pushing on um, our, our desire to always stay familiar and comfortable because newness and novelty is what's going to be the most arousing. And very few of us are having sex that is completely authentic to who we are. Because again, uh, buried under a lot of different things, body shame, sex shame, our gender training, our roles in the world, respectability politics, desirability, woven, woven, buried, buried, buried. 
all of that. And what we're trying to do is just be honest. And that's why we need a really big, broad definition. And it should always change who you were sexually yesterday is who you are. It should be different tomorrow based on how you feel about your body, based on other things that are going on in your life. It should change partner from partner to partner. Another key component is everyone is responsible for initiating. A lot of people somehow dig their heels into some passive position because I'm a bottom or I'm the female or I'm the femme one. Those aren't, those are social constructs. Those aren't real innate things. Things. You are not genetically born one of those things. It is something that you are trained in or you internalize or you are familiar with or you are most comfortable with or it's the result of a trauma. But we want to push on those edges and realize we have more capacities than we realize. We tend to get in our own way by really making solid these very flimsy forms of labeling. And we buy into them too much. And that limits us. And then we feel victimized by the fact that our partner isn't stepping into the opposing role. But what about if what about them? What about their their dynamicism and their fluidity? They can't always be accommodating your rigid edges. And please, please know the the foods you often eat, the places you often travel to, um, the and the sex you often have. All these different factors in our life are often guided by what's familiar and what's most comfortable. And for some people, they are happy within that, but that can get very flat and very boring. Some people are cool with every Friday being pizza night. Awesome. But there's some people that are like, no, one Friday I want Thai, another Friday I want Indian, another Friday I want Ethiopian, another Friday I want something Mediterranean. I want to really expand on that. That's a beautiful thing. You are all of those things. No one is one thing only. And that's why labels are very confining and they really limit us because we buy into them and we police the boundaries. Our gender does that, our sexual orientation labels do that, and our positions and, and, and our labels within sex do that. I'm a top, I'm a bottom, whatever these words are. We, we all have the capacity. And when you're in a relationship with someone you care about, you should be willing to step into your anxiety so as to be the kind of partner that maybe your relationship or your partner needs. So I want everyone initiating. If you want more sex, initiate more sex. I don't care what your gender is. If you want more romance, create and bring in more romance. Yes, you will then at some point, hopefully be on the receiving end, but create the fantasy, create the reality, build in what you want. But this is part of how we keep sex dynamic. I'm trying to talk more about sex on the show. We'll always be most likely in the second hour, but that's an important part of that, expanding on our understanding, expanding on the definitions, and really pushing on the labels of the limits. I see so many people getting in their own way, so push on that. The other piece that's really important is for us to track our own arousal within our bodies because a lot, a lot of people are far more sexual than they realize, but it's been dampened down for a multitude of reasons. But the, you know, asexuality is actually quite rare. It's a very small percentage of the population. For some people, their sexual interest in eroticism is just very quiet because it's been shamed again, or because they think I can't be sexual if I'm a mom, or I can't be hyper hypersexual if I'm a kindergarten teacher, or I can't be hypersexual because someone might think I'm a sex addict. We want to push back on those respectability and desirability politic limits. And I want us to track our arousal and try to move through the world, acknowledging all the different things that grab our attention and turn us on. And then we work with that. And then we bring that home to our partners. Because some of this work is necessary because if we don't identify in ourselves our role in some of these issues, 
sexually and relationally, we can often then feel victimized by our partners as though they're doing this to us or keeping us stuck. But yet it's our own unwillingness to be uncomfortable and expand that actually is creating the relationship that we don't want to leave or having trouble leaving or are unsure about the longevity of it. Do that work first, right? That's why when I work with a couple, there's always a commitment of a length of time that they're going to really try hard with themselves to see what's possible with themselves being the only agent of change, maybe, or both partners to really assess what can be done. We can't always be wanting the other person to accommodate us or to do the work that we're not willing to do. It's vital. And a lot of people, like I said, dampen these things down out of shame, out of other anxieties. So again, we're always trying to say, what am I willing to do and what, what am I not willing to do and why? And do I want to continue to honor that? And what are the limits in that? And what part of me is holding those limits? And how is that maybe limiting my partner? Because again, the most chosen style is monogamy. And that means you are limited by your partner's limits and vice versa. And, that can, and we can't allow it to be something that's very small and shrunken down. That's not a form of love or care. If you are your only partner's access to to and I don't want to use this word again, but if you're your partner's only access to partnered sexuality, you have to have a willingness to be a participant in that. And I think sex is such a beautiful way for us to work on our body and self-esteem by pushing on these edges. The work is always about moving into everything that makes us anxious, not backing away from. It shrinks the world down. There's no growth or, transforma- or transformation in that. Um, all right, we're going to come back and keep talking about this. And then we're going to be doing some DMs. So uh, you got a DM for us, dropping the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, topics, things you want us to hit, circle back to. And as always, uh, past episodes of the show are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, and click on it. Uh, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Giving you a little bit of a sex ed. It's sex ed. It's a little bit of sex therapy, you know? But it's actually relational stuff, too. Anyway, we'll be back. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back talking about kind of everything. It's all rolled into one. That's why I love the topic of sex. It's interesting. It's dynamic. And all of our stuff is in there. Our traumas, our gender training, our body and sexual self-esteem and limits, communication skills or lack thereof, how much intimacy we can tolerate. It's a really beautiful entry point. It's such a core psychological function. And we were just talking about really pushing on and expanding our definitions of sex and everyone initiating and creating the kind of relationship or sex life they want. People often get in their own way, pose themselves as victimized by someone else's limits, but they themselves are unwilling to bring in more romance if that's what they want or bring in more sexuality because of all these arbitrary limits and labels as to why they can't be the one to do that. And it's just basically your anxiety speaking. You're telling on yourself. Create the relationship you want to have. Create the kind of sex life you want to have. Track your arousal. You are probably more sexual than you even realize. So is your partner. And when you get that spark, do something with it. Take it to your partner somehow. Even if they're not around, text them. Send them a photo. Go into fantasy in your own mind all day, knowing that when you come home, you're going to do something with it. It's a really beautiful way to work with that. Because again, we're talking a lot more about how what we do impacts our partners. And in monogamy, which is the chosen relational style for most people still, 
your limits are their limits, their limits are your limits. And it's an act of care and compassion to be willing to be a participant in that. So ask yourself, why, why is my sexuality the way it is? Why are the limits the ones I hold? Um, how's that impacting my partner? How's it impacting me? Do I want to continue to make that how our relationship is run? The answers often are kind of concerning when we see that. And then that hopefully motivates us. Um, but we're always trying to push on our edges. This is like global mental health commentary, which is whatever makes you anxious. The work is about slowly finding ways to move towards it to start to find a comfort around it. We don't want to be moving away from everything that throws us off or makes us anxious because then our lives and our worlds shrink. It has a massively negative impact on us. Um, and this is, and that's why sex is such an anxiety inducing part of ourselves with very few others really knowing who we truly are sexually. And primary partnership is where that should be made known, uh, if only to work through shame, but also to be able to engage it. But you first have to do this work as well. Uh, and that's really hard for a lot of people. They don't want to necessarily put the time and energy into exploring those deeper parts of themselves. But what a beautiful resource and gift. You know, couples that have higher amounts of sexuality have deeper levels of intimacy because that's a tool for that. And it can often, you know, we can only go so far with the verbal. Uh, the affectional, sensual, neurotic are total body. Think about that for a second. You know, we can vocalize in non-sexual spaces through talk. There's depth in that. But when we add that and we bring our bodies into it, oh, we, we, we definitely go far deeper. And that's why, you know, if, if used and harnessed in the right way, erotic relationships of all different kinds can provide not just a lot of beauty, but a lot of safety and connection. Um, but we have to be willing to do the work. And as we talk about often on Loveline, people often don't see relationships as sites of growth and transformation. They see them as things to have and possess and to own and then to anxiously try to keep. That stifles. That is not what this is about. It's about expanding each other, having partnership. Um, and this is a beautiful way to do that. So, so just ask yourself, how did the sex life I have with my partner come to be the sex life I have? What are the boundaries? What are the limits? Where's the shame? Is that mine or is that theirs? And how can I try to remove that and push on it? And if nothing else, that's going to be wildly transformative, but then it has a trickle down effect because that will increase your general self-esteem. We can't move through the world with a high level of self-esteem. If there's parts of ourselves that we are hiding or keeping secret, it doesn't work like that. And this is a really great way to start to unload that. But the one caveat and word of caution is we can only do this work if we're with someone we trust and someone who has the maturity and sophistication to be brought into these deeper parts of who we are. Not everyone is mature enough or sophisticated enough or safe enough to do that. And so you have to assess that. And if they aren't and you want that kind of relationship, work on building up to it. Make it something that's a longer term plan. Uh, some of the patients I work with, these aren't things that we do right away. Sometimes they're not even things we do within the first year. Because when we're talking about sex, we're talking about a lot. We were up against a lot of different forces, which I was talking about in an earlier segment. I want to go back and check that out. Go to wearechannelq.com, scroll down, look for Love Line, and click on it, and then you can listen. <laughs> um, because this work is ongoing. That's that's what's, I don't know, beautiful in some ways and also a little, you know, difficult in others is that the world is always moving you away from this work. And the work is the world is always instilling in you really problematic and toxic narratives around this topic. And so we have to consistently have access to multiple resources that are reminding us how we want to be, how we want to see things, how we want to think about things, and providing us better tools. And that's why I do Love Line. 
It's mission driven. It's a site of accessing those resources because otherwise you're just getting it from books, TV, pornography, and off the street from your friends. And uh, those aren't meant to be educational resources. So we have to actually go to the places where those can exist. But sit down with your partner and talk about this topic, you know? Um, and that's why it ties into the earlier uh, hour topic of why do people stay? Why can't people leave? Sometimes it's because this becomes what is the hook and people are unsure if change can happen. But if we start working on it with ourselves first, then it absolutely can and it does. So do that work. All right, DM's coming up next. Stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Stick around. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, y'all, we are back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. DMs come from our Loveline IG page. You got a question for us? Drop it in there. Topic you want us to hit? Drop it in there. Something you want us to circle back and drop deeper into? Guess what? Drop it in there. That's the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Um, you know, we want to hook you up and help you out while you're helping yourself out with some answers, helping out other people. As you know, it's always confidential and anonymous. Any questions you got, drop them in there. Um, all right, this one. <laughs> This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, me and my partner have been getting along, though we've had rough times in the past. We work really hard on making sure we're always kind and soft with each other, but I still notice that we're having difficulty when we bump up against conflict. See, conflict's an important moment, and I like that this question inherently is highlighting that piece because we're gonna get into disagreements. It's how we manage it that matters. Again, the goal isn't the absence of conflict and disagreement. It's managing it better so that it doesn't wound us. It doesn't harm us. It doesn't separate us. We have to be collaborators and on the same team. So when conflict emerges, you really should be focusing on how do we resolve this? What's the true need? Uh, being solution focused. And the solution has to always be mutually beneficial. Otherwise, it's not the right solution. No one should have to lose. In healthy relationships, we don't think in terms of winning or losing. We think in terms of care for each other. <clears throat> So I'm not gonna read the rest of your question because that's where your question goes. <laughs> um, your question further goes on to say, what are some of the tips and tricks that we need to think of so as to make sure that we are actually bonding during times of conflict? Um, and I think that's a question that everyone should be asking 
because at some point in our lives, we're going to be up against stress, uh, feeling like we don't have the capacity internally to deal with what's happening externally. Uh, we're going to feel very overwhelmed, not at our best. And that's why, again, I always say, you know, as you're getting into a conflict or argument, pay attention to the person you're talking to because how they're de- what they're showing tells you how well you're doing. Do they look distressed? Do they look scared? Do they look anxious? Then you're not doing so well. They're the barometer. It's kind of like, how do you know if you're a good driver? You pay attention to how safe the passenger feels and comfortable. That's the barometer. So remember that. Watch them. You, you should want them feeling like comfortable and safe as though they're cared for. That's the relational stance. We're always trying to do things relationally, which honor that there's a human being on the receiving end, a human being that we care for. And even if we don't care for them, it's still a person and they're still worthy of that respect. Um, so always track and pay attention to the person you're talking to. That's the answer. And remember that it's not a battle or a competition. It's not about winning. But again, in our American culture, we are very much about competition. You know, again, it's rooted in neoliberal capitalism where we're threatened by everything, worry about ourselves only, toxic individualism. We're trying to get away from that, right? I was saying that a lot during a pandemic. I was saying you are responsible for your neighbors and your community and your state and your country and the world. Like these are all different arbitrary boundaries, but we really want a, a higher level of collective care. That should be the new ethic. But again, don't worry about whether or not you're fighting and having conflict. That's natural and expected. It's how you manage that. And more importantly, how does it resolve? That would be the first question I'd ask a couple. How do your fights end? And I'd want them to say, well, maybe we're not in agreement, but we, we feel cared for. We're able to still go to dinner. Great. That's what I want to hear, that they're, it's managed and run in a way we can still go to dinner. And the stats show us over and over that how you start determines how it goes. Come in at a zero. And if you're not able to start at a zero, go do some regulatory stuff to get yourself down to a zero. Don't start conversations hot. Don't come in at a seven. Otherwise, we're going to end up at like a 15. Come in at a zero. That makes everyone feel safe and cared for. It gives you the best chance to really have this go smoothly. You know, um, it's all about self-regulation. <laughs> so much comes down to that. Uh, knowing ourselves, knowing our triggers, being able to regulate, having a relational mindset, uh, not thinking competitively. And just like I said, having an ethic of care for those around you and how you influence them. Um, so practice it, acknowledge where you aren't at your best and all the things I just talked about. And really work on that and start small. Start with the easier people, the easier conflicts. Apply this and then you kind of build your, you know, build your muscles, build your way up, your emotional muscles, your emotional IQ, your emotional intelligence. Um, all right, y'all, that is that. If you got a question for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Past episodes, because you want to go check out those past episodes so you can really build in that repetition. That's over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it, but you should check out some of the other shows that are there. We're trying to do some really powerful, empowering, inclusive work. Um, But yeah, drop some questions in there because I know you all are wondering about something. Um, Spend the rest of the night focusing on kindness towards yourself and those around you. We're dropping the bar a little bit, focusing more time on pleasure and leisure and self-care. We're not trying to burn out, y'all. Thanks for joining me, though. We'll be back tomorrow night, so uh, join me then. As always, thanks for hanging out, and y'all enjoy the rest of your night. Good night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 